Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. From Brevity Studios in New Zealand, I'm Ryan Wolf, and this is Guilt. On the last episode of season one of Guilt. I, I, I come to pull up my bucket of water and this guy sort of, I didn't catch him in the act, but he took one look at me and, and brushed past me. And that's when Jordan just brushed it off and goes, oh, yeah, I've been stealing out of my freezer. And I says, well, you got to watch out. And he goes, oh, um, don't worry about me. I've got respect. Was, uh, yeah, just did the deal with some young fellas out the back of the place. I was watching them, they just looked shifty. And then only maybe a, a week or two after that fish deal, the freezers got robbed. And I said to Jordan, that was just really shifty. You do that shady deal, the freezers get robbed. And he kept on saying, oh, they wouldn't do that to me. They love me around here, I trust them. When I concluded season one of Guilt, I presented my theory as to what I believed had taken place on the 18th of June, 2012, that ultimately resulted in the cold-blooded murder of beloved pizza shop owner, Jordan Vidori. I knew at the time I presented this theory that people would think it wasn't based in fact and that it was pure speculation. And that was very frustrating for me because I knew that wasn't true. During the production of season one, I was contacted by someone. I can still remember the moment right now. I could hear their nervous voice on the other end of the line. And the reason was 
that this person had randomly stumbled across the podcast, having not known much about the case. But when they started listening, there was an episode that made them sit up and say, oh shit. And that was episode four, Operation Olive, which if you'll recall, involved the armed robberies of the nearby Waihe service station and the Caddy Caddy Dairy shortly after. At the time, I had always thought these events seemed far too much of a coincidence. And if what this person is saying is true, then they were. I can still vividly remember the hair standing up on the back of my neck. And when I put the phone down, I couldn't quite believe what I'd heard. My direct instruction at the time was that they needed to take this information directly to the police. As much as I would love to have released it, I didn't want to jeopardize any possible arrest or subsequent case. I told this person to tell the police what they know and let's see what happens. And if nothing does, then we'll release. We're now over a year on, and at least as far as we're aware, there has been no further inquiry by police regarding this lead. So I've decided to release what I deem appropriate. Of course, this person's name and voice will be changed. Plus, I won't be releasing any names of the suspected people involved. And remember, everyone is to be considered innocent unless proven otherwise. I meet this person in a cluttered garage in a large central North Island city. Discretion is of the utmost importance. I pull a chair out of a pile of items of furniture and they take a seat on a nearby low sitting couch. For the purposes of this podcast, I'll be referring to this witness as Sarah. I set up the microphone and hit record. The story begins, surprisingly, in hospital. Really, I guess this started quite a few years ago. At that time, I didn't really know anything about the pizza man getting murdered. Well, not really much anyway. I was in hospital at the time for a random operation and two detectives showed up and they started asking me questions about a guy I knew and whether he could have been involved in the murder of the pizza man. Like, do I think he did it? Do I think he's capable? Does he own a 22? Where would he hide it? And who would cover for him? And I had an answer for all those questions because I knew he had a lot of illegal firearms. And I, I knew that he had a sawn-off shotgun. He had a 22. He had a handgun, which I don't even know what that was. He had knives, machetes, things like that. And why do you think the police came to you? Well, so he'd been in prison. I'm not sure exactly what for, but I know that he had a violent past. I'm pretty sure he tried to kill one of his exes. So anyway, at some point he was in prison and he confessed to his cellmate. He confessed to shooting the pizza man. And that cellmate later told the parole board or the police, I'm not sure which, but I guess they thought they'd try and speak to some people that were from the area and had had dealings with him over the years. Apparently he 
had told an ex-girlfriend that he had done it as well. And she'd gone to the police too, so they had two people telling them the same thing. But the thing is, at that time, I, I didn't know or think of any possible connection between him and the pizza man. So I, I just told them a few things about what I knew about his past, but I didn't see the pizza man as being relevant to anything. Okay. Tell me about him and what kind of person he is. Well, from what I knew of him, he could be you know, extremely violent and unpredictable. He could be a nice guy until things don't go his way. Yeah, I mean, obviously, not a nice person. So do you believe that this person would have been capable or was the person that murdered Jordan? As much as I think that that person has done what they've done, I still I still think it would have been more accidental, not intentional. So they wouldn't have gone there with thought to do that, but if the circumstances had arisen and they had to, you know, like pull the trigger to get him to let go of the rifle, then yeah, he would have. Okay. So at this point, I want to explain exactly what is being alleged. That the perpetrator in question was behind Jordan's shop that night with the purpose of robbing Jordan's freezers. And that in the act of this robbery, Jordan has heard, then confronted this person, and during this the weapon has been fired, resulting in Jordan's death. But Sarah believes that the murder would likely have been accidental. And as to the reasons why it is believed this took place, when Sarah first listened to episode 4, Operation Olive, she heard me describe the men involved in those robberies. I didn't name these men, but their names are easily obtainable through any Google search. Suddenly, Sarah's recollection of the police visit all those years ago was flooding back. Her heart was racing as she googled these names, but deep down, she already knew the answer as to who they would be, and the search result would confirm her fears. The men involved in the Waihee armed robberies and the Caddy Caddy Dairy robbery were directly connected to the man the police had questioned her about that day in hospital. When we spoke, she said that these guys and this man used to roll together. Everywhere. That there was no way that they would have committed these robberies that morning and this man would not have been with them. When I asked her what the likelihood was, she said 98% sure. So possibly, this man could have been with the others during those armed holdups and somehow wasn't caught, or was with them that night and then bailed before the robberies. The question is, how are these connected back to Jordan's murder? And the answer is the freezers. So, basically, I mean, some of these guys are involved in gang activities. They're actually patched up members, although you know, the person that I'm speaking about, he, he wasn't. But like in anything like this, I guess the younger ones are trying to impress you know, the higher-ups and they'll do just do things to get told, like, yeah, well done, bro, or they're bringing some stolen property back, feeling like they'll be viewed as bigger, better people. You know, really, they're just, they're just doing their dirty work. And 
you know, one of the things that this group of guys used to do was to rob freezers in the area, like from farms, because they're easy. They're not right beside the house. And one of these freezers they used to hit would be Jordan's one. Like, same thing, it's out the back in a dark alleyway. And I know they robbed Jordan's freezer more than once because, you know, I can remember being around there once and seeing frozen pizzas that I know were from Jordan's. And, like, they must have had to dig pretty deep because he often didn't have pizza in his freezer unless it was for the street kids or, you know, maybe for himself to take somewhere. But, yeah. So then what they'd do is rob a bunch of freezers, then they'd take a lot of the good meat out to the higher-ups. And then I guess they'd keep some too. And, I mean... I mean, I guess it didn't seem like a serious crime taking some meat and pizzas, right? And, I mean, the thing is that Jordan never locked his freezers. Yeah, no, no. And if he did, I don't think they would have bothered, you know? They would have known how easy it was to sneak around the back there. It was sort of common knowledge that the second set of gates was never locked. Uh, Yeah, that back street is... It's not a place that I'd be walking by myself at night, given that it was so dark. And, you know, there was nothing down there. Like, I wouldn't ever think that there would be cameras, because who's going to have a camera on a funeral parlour? And then I think the others were a couple of houses and a little building. I just never used to go down that street much, you know? But Jordan... He was like such a people person. So he was normally, if he wasn't making food, he was standing out the front talking to people that had purchased food or he was just giving it away. Yeah, it shows how low these guys are that they'll steal from a guy that gives so much. Um, No doubt he probably gave them free pizzas at some point growing up. Yeah, no doubt. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The previous freezer robberies certainly give us a direct link to this group of men being behind Jordan's store at some point. 
But a notable thing about this group is that they're not actually Paidoa locals, at least not at the time anyway. They were living in a nearby town. However, Sarah has a specific memory of that day and a car she saw and tells me there's video evidence to prove it. So I remember at the time of Jordan's murder, the police... Um, I guess they must have gone to every business in the whole area and they were asking to see surveillance footage. I remember I was there and they were talking to the manager of the place I was working and he was like showing them the footage. And of course, I didn't think much of it at the time, but I saw a car on the day of Jordan's murder, like driving through town on the video. And yeah, I, I didn't say anything. But it was their car, the one that they, the one that they used to mainly drive. Because I remember thinking, yeah, what are they up to? Who's, who's bloody drink driving on a Saturday night? And you know, like they were from out of town, so it's not like they would drive through Paidoa every day of the week. Okay, so it wouldn't be normal for them to just be out driving around in Paidoa. No. Uh-uh. The car was from Tiaraha, which is why I was wondering why it would be way over here. I mean, unless they were going to a party or something, there's no reason they'd be over here at all. But then... So that other car that you talked about, the one that was like at 1am, the one the police wanted identified, the one that looks like um, a big horn? Well, the guy's brother... He also had a car like that. At this point in our interview, I frantically pull out my phone and bring up the blurry image of the 4x4 vehicle police had never identified. I ask if this could be the car. Yeah, like that. I don't know if it's the same one, but it, yeah, it's, that, it's the same shape. Do you remember what the colour of the brother's car was? It was um, silver with like a gunmetal grey which, from looking at that picture, yeah, it looks like that. It's a hell of a coincidence. Yeah. Well, or not. At this point, circumstantial evidence is beginning to pile up. And I'd be lying if I said my heart wasn't racing at the possibilities. To recap, we've got at least two confessions of this person that he was the one that shot Jordan. We know he ran with the same young men that committed the armed robberies. And in Sarah's view, he would have been with him that morning, 98% sure. Thirdly, we know for sure that this same group of young men that used to run together were also the same ones robbing Jordan's freezers. We also know that this person had access to a wide range of firearms. And finally, we have a sighting of their vehicle and possibly the brothers in the location, a location that they're not from, on the same day and morning of Jordan's murder we go on to speak about a possible reason they may have been in town that night and morning. And this was a party that the men involved in the armed robberies had stated they were present at that night and used as an alibi with police to discount their involvement in Jordan's murder. Well, considering it was a party in Waihee and most of their associates that I know were probably there, or they could have been there earlier and left. Everybody just said that they were there because given it, yeah, given how they grew up and who they are, they're not going to say, 
oh no, he wasn't there. Like, of course not, because that's going to drop them in a whole power of shit. And I mean, the distance between Waihi and Pairoa is, is not far. I've heard them boast before about how quick they can make that drive, and given how used to it they are, I'd imagine, you know, probably only a 10-minute drive for them. So it's like nothing to get there and back. Yeah, so something that's always bothered me about the robbery theory is why would someone take a gun to rob freezers? Yeah, nah. They just carry guns all the time because of who they were and who they're associated with. They would have had them in the car regardless of, you know, whether they're going to the grocery shop or to steal meat from a freezer. You know, even to the beach to take the kids out, they'd still have it in the car because, you know, like, I guess they thought it was cool and they'd always be getting into fights. They thought that was fun and they'd get, a, I guess, an ego boost out of hurting people. But, like, more on a fighting, punching, hitting sort of level than a shooting someone. But with a gun, I guess, if things went bad, they'd have some form of backup. Another key moment in this case, a serious description about what she described as a Pacific Island-accented woman shouting and screaming at Jordan sometime just after 1am. I wondered whether this could have been a female acquaintance of this group of men, possibly from the party they'd been attending, that had decided to come along for a ride that night. I put this to Sarah. I mean, yeah, 100% that's possible. You know, I'd say that would be pretty common occurrence for someone to, to ride along. I think that, you know, all four of those boys were in the car. Could have been a girl along for the ride. So they've, you know, got out. They've had an altercation maybe midway, I don't know, and... The person that was holding the gun, Jordan's grabbed it and you know, they pulled the trigger and it was accidental. But, yeah, then again, they're still not going to speak. And from there, they've made the drive to Waihi, which, if it was them, you know, we're saying like under 15 minutes, that would take them past the location of a gang headquarters where the person could have just like jumped out and just pretended like, you know, nothing's happened. Uh, you know, you think about it, I'm showing up at that time of night, no one's going to care. You just grab a beer and, yeah, I think they probably didn't know at the time that Jordan, you know, had actually died. But in terms of getting rid of the gun, hmm, I mean, I'd say, like, they're not necessarily smart, but they're definitely streetwise. And, like, you know, the other robberies... I don't really know what to make of that. You know. Because they didn't steal anything. Like, anything. Why would you do it? Why would you go do it to come out empty-handed? That just makes me think they've done that to draw attention away from what happened in Pairoa. I went back and forth on how I wanted to make this episode. And that's part of why it's taken so long. But I also wanted to let the police do their job. In the end, I felt I was going to overcomplicate it. So I've just made it simple and to the point. But I have spoken to one criminal lawyer 
and I do plan to get a professional legal opinion on the circumstantial evidence in this case and present that soon. Now I just want to remind you that everything said in this episode is based on the opinion of this witness. None of this has been proven in a court of law and everyone should be considered innocent until proven otherwise. But I will add that this opinion is based on first-hand knowledge of events that they've seen and heard. I'll add that this witness and at least one other has tried to take what they know to the police and apparently they haven't seemed interested. It's also possible that they have thoroughly investigated these leads. But I can confirm that aside from the one time many years ago when detectives visited her in hospital, Sarah has never again been contacted by police. And after she again spoke to them a year ago with new information after listening to this podcast, they have again never contacted her. Let's recap everything we've heard in this episode. First, we have not one, but two confessions. And as far as I'm aware, police are aware of both of these. Second, we have a direct connection between the men involved in the armed robberies and this man that made these confessions. Third, we know that this group of young men were the ones robbing Jordan's freezers and had done so on at least two occasions. Four, according to Sarah, this man in particular possessed many illegal firearms, and as a group, these men would always carry a firearm in their vehicle. Five, according to Sarah, we have a sighting of their vehicle in Paidoa on the Saturday night, only hours before Jordan would be shot, and there is video footage of this vehicle. Six, the 4x4 vehicle in town at 1.15am that the police have been unable to identify is, according to Sarah, the same shape and colour as the brother's vehicle of the alleged perpetrator, who was also known to police. Finally, we know that the alibi the police accepted for the whereabouts of the men involved in the armed robberies that night is one which could easily be manipulated. And it's quite likely they were there, but could easily have left and returned in a short period of time. To be clear, this is largely circumstantial evidence. And again, none of this is proven. But I'm sure you can now appreciate why it was that I settled on the theory that I did. I saw a comment that it was a baseless theory made up only of speculation. Clearly, it wasn't. But you need to understand that this podcast isn't just about entertainment. These are real crimes. And what I say can have real consequences. There's a great adage that applies nicely here. Think of the podcast like a duck. On the surface, it glides smoothly along, apparently at ease. Hiding the reality that beneath the surface, it's paddling like hell. Guilt is written, produced, and edited by me, Ryan Wolf. The title track of this podcast is Jukebox by Patrick Patricios. The opinions of guests of this podcast are just that, and are not necessarily the views of the podcast itself. 
You'll find further photos and videos related to this podcast on my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ, or our Facebook page, Brevity Studios NZ. You can discuss the case with other listeners on our Facebook group, The Guilt Podcast Discussion Group. Voice acting in this episode, a very special thanks to Sarah Ferris. I highly recommend you check out her amazing true crime podcasts like Conning the Con, Clueless, and Stop the Killing. I'll keep you updated if there's any further information related to the murder of Jordan Vidori. And I do have further planned episodes, so stay tuned. And if you have any information related to the murder of Jordan Vidori, you can contact us anonymously at brevitystudiosnz at gmail.com or you can contact the police at Crime Stoppers. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.